0: Well, we don't know for certain. We don't know for certain what day Christ was born. Um, if I remember correct, now I'm gonna tell you, um, it would have probably been sometime around the spring, early fall. I mean, early summer is actually what some of them believe, if I remember right. I've heard that. It, 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 the and the animals. This is the season that traditionally has been celebrated for that just to not get into too much of the history of it here's just a little bit uh, the romans celebrated a um a god called um, saturnalia i believe is how you said his name he was a god of agriculture and they had a season that was a season of giving during december the I, I'm, don't quote me on this because i'm going off the back of my head somewhere around december 14th or 15th i believe all the way up to December 19th or 20th or somewhere in that window. um, And that was a time that they had gift-giving and all kind of other stuff to where they celebrated this god, Saturnalia. And so um, that's a part of how Christians began to take that same season and instead of celebrating Saturnalia, you started getting some that were celebrating the birth of their god, Jesus Christ. And so it kind of fell in that same same window. But now that's not all of it. There's a lot that ties into it. But that just kind of explains a little bit of the season of why we have the December season that we have. But again, the the purpose of the season is that we look at the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what that means. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to find from this scripture right here, I want to find um, four reasons why There had to be a Christmas. Why Christmas? And so let's read Hebrews chapter two, beginning in verse fourteen. We'll read verse just two verses fourteen and fifteen. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So I want to pick this thing apart just a little bit at a time, starting in verse 14. I want you to find me the first reason why there had to be a Christmas. And when I say Christmas, remember I'm talking about the fact that God came down from His throne in glory and became a man and dwelt among us. Why did that have to happen? Because let's, let's ask this question. All he had to do was die, right? And rise from the dead. So why, why come as a child? Why go through life? Why spend 30 something years or 30 years and then the last three in your ministry? Why, why go through that? What is the purpose for it according to this verse? Because you want to know why he was doing what. Now let me ask you this. Now, now I'm not I'm not sh- shutting down the answer. I want I, this is a genuine question to you. Did you get that answer from that verse, or is that just from you from here? And here's what I'm trying to get all of you to do. A way. All right. Explain to me where that's in this verse. The book of the same all right. Go ahead. He wanted, he wanted to know. I mean, uh, after he destroyed the. The world, he, you know, he wanted to give everybody a chance, humanity a chance to to live and breathe and, and worship him. Okay. And so he sent his son, so his son could walk in our footsteps. But here's what I here's what I want you to do, and Fagan just did it. What did you say? Oh, it, it says that he he partook of the same things. Right. So what does that mean? Yeah. Uh, what? I mean. All right. Why? Well, that's what I said. So it's he children. would render the, through death
1: right. powerless.
0: Okay. The devil. Here's, here's what you can say. Anybody else want to take a shot at it? Uh, how are we going to believe if, if he didn't hmm. do the flesh and blood? Because it would just be like... Yeah, because look how they... Worshiped him when he came, and they thought he was going to be this big, great, and but he wasn't. He was very humble. Okay. And he wanted to be humble. Oh, thank you. My commentary said... Do what? Go ahead, Francis. What were you saying? Oh, human beings needed a propitiatory sacrifice. That's right. That's right. What is uh, what is a propitiatory sacrifice? That's a good question. A real, real life. Somebody that yeah. I can see, feel, in touch. Somebody tangible. You gotta, yeah. you gotta be able to. Yeah. See, so feel, the touch. Yeah. Anybody else? Y'all are y'all are very close, and you're all around it, and it, you're right on it. You really are. Let's look at the verse. What's that first word? Sense. or because? Therefore, the children share in flesh and blood. Who are the children? Thus. Thus, right? And so since the children of God share in flesh and blood, in other words, they have a different nature than God, right? God before Christ didn't share in flesh and blood. We have a... We have a different nature than God. We've been handed down a different nature than God. Our ways are not His ways, are they? His His ways are much higher than our ways, and His thoughts are much higher than our our thoughts. And so ultimately what you see here is, since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things. And so here's the first reason for Christmas. Because the children are flesh and blood. The children have a different nature. The children are lost. (laughs) The children have Adam's nature. The children have a sinful nature. And so because the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things. And so what does it mean that He Himself likewise partook of the same things? He, to know what he lived did, the same way did, we he do. He know us. He lived what? The same way we do. All right. And what do you mean by that? You're right. Well, he he walked and went everywhere just like everyone else did. All right. He, if he was out in the field whenever it come bedtime. They just laid down in the field and went to sleep because they didn't have nowhere else to go. Okay, so he experienced life the way that we experience life as flesh and blood, all right? Now go with me, hold your place right there. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Start in verse 15. So just skip over two chapters. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. What is grace? So let us then with confidence draw near to this throne of undeserved mercy that we may receive this mercy and we may find this grace to help us in the time of what? So how do you tie, reconcile those two verses? Jesus shared in flesh and blood for what reason? That's exactly right. There's the key. Again, it's not just so he, He could know It is so that he could be a great high priest to you and I. He could be the one that could minister to us. He has experienced life the same way that you experienced it. So there, therefore, we can draw near with confidence, knowing that he can help me. He's the perfect example too. That's right. He can give me exactly what I need no matter what I'm faced with, right? No matter what I'm dealing with. Would you believe that he likely had sicknesses in his body, just like we have sicknesses in ours? Would you believe that he understands what it's like to not be able to put a roof or not be able to always provide for everything or, or uh, pay a specific bill? Would you believe that he knows what it is to fight temptation? was tempted and tried, even as we are, yet without sin. And you know, I've said this many times, uh, just because Jesus was never an alcoholic don't mean He can't minister to an alcoholic. Because let me tell you what He experienced. He experienced temptation to a degree that no one else would ever experience it. No one has ever experienced temptation to this degree and no one ever will experience temptation to the degree that he dealt with and overcame. And the reason why is so that he could minister to anybody in any temptation. He didn't have to become a drug addict. He didn't have to become an alcoholic. He didn't have to, um, he didn't have, to have any specific sin in his life in order to minister. He Endured the temptation of it, and because he overcame it, he has now dwelt in flesh and blood, so that he can now be that great high priest who ministers you and I. So why Christmas? Why is it important that Jesus came and lived the life from a child all the way? You ever wondered why there was no room at the end? Do you think that was uh, something that? Do you think that was Satan? No. no. Uh, it was no. no. I'm on that was humility, humbleness. Jesus, Jesus was to come to this earth and suffer to a degree from birth to death, suffer to a degree that nobody else ever has and nobody else ever will. Because if anybody else were ever born that suffered worse than he did or in a situation that he, that, that he never experienced, he can't relate to them. He cannot be their great high priest. He cannot minister to them. Jesus was born in the poor family the way He was with nothing and lived His whole life. He used to tell some of His disciples, He said, listen, foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has what? Nowhere to lay His head. Jesus knows what it's like to be homeless. The Creator of the world knows what it's like to be homeless. The Creator of the world became flesh and blood because the children partook in flesh and blood. And because the children partook in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook in flesh and blood so that He could be our great high priest and sympathize with our weaknesses. Now go back to Hebrews chapter 2. So that's the first one. Because we are human And in the flesh, Jesus also became human in the flesh so that He could relate, He could understand, and He could minister to us in any given situation. Let's read verse 14 again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things. So that's the first reason why He had to come. Second reason, that through death... What's the second reason that He had to come? That's right. Because if He don't become human, can God die? (laughs) He has to become flesh and blood so that He can die. Because it is through death and through the shedding of His blood that He purchases our redemption. And that can't happen unless He takes on flesh and blood. And so the first reason, so that He could sympathize and be our great high priest. The second reason, so that He could die. All right? And let's go on to... um, you, You know, you think about that for a minute. The very reason there had to be an incarnation, the very reason He came to be born was so that He could die. It was all coming to that. It was all about that. Yes, we celebrate His birth and we celebrate the fact that He come, but the reason we celebrate it is because what He came to do. What that means, His birth means that He came to die. So that through death, and here's the third reason, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the, the, the devil. So what is the third reason that he, why Christmas? Okay. Again. If he had to come in the flesh and died, there would be no intercessor, so you'd just be dead. Right. So there'd be no reason for living, so just live and die. Okay. He had, to, he, had to defeat it. he had to defeat death. Yeah, all right, so he had to defeat death. But again, here's what I'm trying to teach you tonight. I'm trying to teach you to find it in the verse. I want you to tell me. Let's read that again. That through death, and that's the second reason. Let's find the third one. He might destroy the one who has the power of death. So what's the third reason? Give it to me in layman's terms. Destroy the devil. Destroy the devil. Destroy Satan. Why does Satan have to be destroyed? He's not real because he thinks... He... Oh, he's real. Oh, he's real. He thinks he can overcome God. There you go. He is still in rebellion against the Almighty, the Creator. He is still exalting himself, still trying to raise himself to be the one that everything and everyone worships. He is worthy of worship. Remember, he, remember what his words were? I will lift my throne above the throne of God. I will be like the, uh, like the Most High. They will worship me. And so he has to be destroyed. Remember, he was cast down from, from heaven to this earth, but God is going to destroy him. Yeah, yeah, great. That's exactly right. Think of all the ones that were in heaven that were worshiping him and came down with him. Mm-hmm. That's right. A third, the third of them. That's right. And so he, so the third reason is that he's going to destroy the devil. But the way he's going to destroy him, how's he going to destroy him? Take his power. Take his power. What is his? And thank you. You found it in the verse. What is his power? Yeah. Why is Satan's power death? How is, how is Satan's power death? Because God is eternal life. Okay. Uh, and Satan and if death, if I mean you I, don't have God, mm-hmm. you face a death. Okay. And so, what does Satan do to us to cause, to have the power of death? He can. He puts the fear of death. Okay. Separates us from salvation. Separates us from salvation and, by, and really you could put that separates us from God by leading us into sin, leading us into the same mindset that He has that I don't need God, I don't want God, I don't want to be with God, I want to do my own thing, walk my own life, follow my own path. And so He has the power of death because He has the power to lead us away from the source of life. And so Jesus is going to destroy him by how? Taking his power, right? He's going to take his power. How did Jesus take his power? He defeated death. How did he defeat death? He rose again. You're right. Go with me to Colossians. Hold your place in Hebrews. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians, be right before 1 Thessalonians, right after Philippians. Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to read verse um, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So how are we dead? How did death come to us? Our our trespasses. Trespasses. So again, what we were talking about a minute ago, He leads us away from God. We were dead in our trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. And here he's just talking about the fact that we don't belong to God. We don't have the the mark that says that we are God's children. And this was an uncircumcision in the flesh. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So it was your trespasses that made you dead, right? because you owed God a debt for your trespasses. But then Christ comes, and what does He do? He he forgives, and and the way He's able to forgive, can Christ just come? Could Christ have not died and just came and said, I forgive you? Let me ask you this. If you are accused of murder, all the evidence is stacked against you. And you're standing in front of a just judge. What does a just judge mean? What does it mean that he's just? Got no? What does it mean that he's just? It means that justice is going to be served, right? If he's just, that means he is going to do what is right. No matter what. That's right. No matter who you are, where you come from, he's just. And justice will be served in front of him. And all the evidence is stacked against you. And you stand up and you say, I am so sorry for what I have done. Will you please forgive me? If he's a just judge, can he just let you go free? No. No, Why? Because the payment has to be made, right? Justice has to be served. And so, what if somebody that you don't know steps into the courtroom and says, Your Honor... I will take the punishment myself if you'll let them go free. Can he do that? Yeah, he can. As long as justice is served. That's what matters is that justice is served. Well, what Christ has done is you stand in front of a just judge, the only just judge. There is none more just than Him. And justice has to be served. And all the trespasses are stacked against you. And payment must be made. And you can beg and plead for forgiveness all you want. But unless the payment is made, a just judge cannot let you go free until justice has been served. Because if he lets you go free without justice being served, guess what? He's not just. He's not just. But the way that God is just is that He makes sure the payment gets paid by taking it on Himself. He makes the payment. He says, I will pay your payment for you. So the payment gets made, justice is served, and I'm still able to be both merciful and just. God knows how to be both merciful and just. And so here's what He does. In verse 13 again of Colossians 2, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. Now the key to that is with Him. Without Him, your trespasses will not be forgiven. And the way your trespasses were forgiven is justice was served on the cross. That's right. Justice was served in Christ Jesus, in His body, on the cross. Well, let's see if we're right on that. Look at verse 14. Here's how. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside how? And then verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities... And put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Now think about what He's saying right here. So Jesus goes to the cross and He pays your payment for you. And because justice is served, all those who trust in that payment, God says, now your debt is wiped clean. You owe it no more. You, your record of debt has been nailed to the cross so that now there is no debt. And if there is no debt, then death cannot hold you any longer. And so what he's saying here is that when Jesus took the power of Satan away, here's all the power Satan had against you. He has no other power. This is it. His power against you is the record of debt that you owe God. And he stands before God day and night and he says, God, Doris does not love you, cherish you, worship you. This is what Doris does. And he has the record of debt. But with Christ on the cross, God is then able to say, It's been erased. And if there is no debt, there is no death. And if there is no death for Satan, there is no power. He can't do anything to you. He can't, he, he, he can. Th- this is the reason why. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against you if God is for you? Satan has nothing. If God is now for you, the only way Satan has any power is if he can make God be against you. And the only power he has to make God against you is the record of debt that you owe... And if Jesus nails it to the cross and you trust in it and God wipes it out, what does He have? Nothing. nothing. So He takes His power away. Because by dying on the cross, He paid the payment that we owed, which is death, and He removed the power of death. All right. now keep reading with me in Romans 8 verse 32. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? (laughs) If a man will give you his only begotten Son, is there anything that he will not give you? All right, keep reading, verse 33. Therefore, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Is there any charge that can be brought against you now? Now that Christ, because of your faith in Christ, is there any charge that will ever be able to start a new record of debt? No, because Jesus died once for all. And everyone who puts their faith and trust in Him, not only were your past sins forgiven, but your present sins forgiven. And guess what else? Your future sins were also forgiven by that same price. And so here He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. And if God declares you not guilty, if God justifies you and declares you not guilty, is there anyone that can ever bring a guilty verdict against you again? None. Keep reading verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, He was raised and He is at the right hand of God and is indeed interceding for us. He provides everything we need. Every sin we mess up from here on out, He's up there at the right hand saying, Father, I get it. <laughs> I've been there. I know what it's like to be tempted. I, I wasn't weak in the flesh and blood like they are, and yet I still can relate. He's interceding for us. And then look at verse 35. I love this. So if all those things are true, do you believe all those things we just said are true? All right, well, let's just see what you think about this. Verse 35. Then who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? What about persecution? What about famine? If you you starve to death, is that going to separate you from it? What about nakedness? You don't have any clothes to put on. You have to walk around this world naked. Nobody wants to be around you with us seeing all that, right? Is that going to separate you from the love of Christ? What about danger? What about a sword? Can a sword separate you from the love of Christ? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So in other words, this world is going to kill us. This world is going to throw everything at it us because Satan don't have any more power. He's, the only power he had that was any significance against you was the power of death because of the record of death that you owed. And so now the only other thing he's got left is... Famine, sword, anything else He can throw at you. (laughs) But guess what? Can't none of it separate you from the love of Christ. He still ain't got no power. There's still nothing He can do. In verse 37, look at the way Paul ends this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure, if you don't have those three words underlined in your Bible, you ought to underline them. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in creation. Did Paul leave anything out? Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, not even your sin, because the record of debt that you owed has been nailed to the cross and the power that Satan had which was death has been taken away because it is God who has justified you. Now go back to Hebrews chapter 2 again. Let's just start in verse 14 and read through it again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things So that through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death. Remember, He nailed it to the cross. He destroyed destroyed Him. That is the devil. And then here's the last reason of why Christmas. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Give me the fourth reason for Christmas. Delivery from death. Delivery from yeah. Well, that was really the last, the last one. Delivery, deliver is fine, but not necessarily from death. The slavery, the slavery of what? Of fear, fear of what? Death. The fear of death. There again, Lee. Keep in mind. Look at the verse. Look at the verse. Let the verse tell you. Here's what you've got to learn, all of you. You've got to learn to try not to let this thing... Y'all watching me? (laughs) This thing is not right. But let me tell you what is right. This thing. And so if you will always look to the Word, don't ever let this get in front of this. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So just stop and look back and go, Okay, He delivers us from what? The fear of death that kept us in lifelong slavery. What does that mean? How did He deliver us from the fear of death? Nailed he nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. Go with me to First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 16 through 18. Now remember what Romans 8 was telling us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? Because that love is in Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus nailed our record or debt to the cross, made us alive with Him by wiping out all of our trespasses. So God loves us because of Christ. And now look at verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Right? All right, let's keep going. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is the love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. So what do we have for the day of judgment? Confidence. Confidence. And where does that confidence come from? God loves us, right? God loves us. And he has proved that he loves us because he gave his only begotten son so that he could save you from your record of debt and deliver you from death. God loves us, and we've come to know it and we've come to believe it. God is love. That's right. So we have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with what? And whoever fears has not been perfected in what? What is he saying right there? If you walk in fear, you're not resting in confidence that God loves you. Do you know how many people walk around in this world today still all down and mopey and don't know if I maybe God, I pray, I hope so. Maybe I'll make it. God, just please, if you can if you can have enough mercy on me, but it's but I know what I am and I know what I do. Do you know what he did? still That's right. And that's what he's saying here, is that when we again, look again at first John chapter four, verse um, I should have held my spot. Look at verse... um, Let's start again in verse 16. So we have come to know... Here's where he starts it. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Everything he's been saying builds up to this point. John says, man, I've come to know it. And I've come to believe it. That God loves me. And because of that, that perfect love, that perfect love that I know that He has for me, it casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. And one thing I know for certain, God has removed my punishment. God has removed my punishment so I have confidence in judgment. And so I have no fear of death. Because when death comes, it is only a gateway that enters into eternity for me. And I'm not saying we don't fear the unknown and pains and those kind of things. I'm talking about fear of judgment. And that's what Hebrews is talking about, that when He defeated the devil, when He destroyed him and took His power away, He also delivered all of those who through the fear of death lived in lifelong slavery. Because let's just face it, I imagine most, most of you in here have had moments in your life where you thought, Elizabeth, this may be the big one. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever had times where you thought, maybe this is it. Maybe I'm going to meet what, what, what goes through your head during those times? Fear. Slavery. And the problem is, we're not resting in confidence in the love of God. We're still thinking, we have to do... And we have to earn and we have to work with everything we've got. Now again, I'm not saying that because again, whoever loves God abides in God. And so, yes, those things go hand in hand too. But I'm also saying here that we have to understand that it is God who justifies. And if God justifies, who can bring a charge against God's elect? If God justifies, who can declare Him guilty? <laughs> There is is no one and nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so because of that, we are to rest in confidence in judgment. No fear of judgment. Fear has to do with punishment. And perfect love casts out all fear. And so we can be delivered from this fear of death. Because deep down, every one of us are slaves to the fear of death. Unless we find Christmas. <laughs> Unless we remember that God has proven His love for us and that He gave His only begotten Son and all those who put their faith and trust in their debt being nailed to the cross. I don't think that as a Christian, I can only speak for myself, like the fear that... But it's the fear of being held accountable for the things undone. It scares me. Things that I have failed him miserably at. To die and to be with him? Praise God. Right. I, I see what you're saying there. Yeah. But he still, he, he still forgave us. Right. That's exactly right. And that's the point behind this. Yes, we have to give an account for all the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. But the record of debt, past, present, and future have been nailed to the cross. And if, Christ, if God will give us His only Son, is there anything that He won't give us? And so what we have to understand here is that when we walk in this perfect love of God and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, we no longer are slaves to the fear of death, but we have to trust Him. We have to step back and we have to realize that this thing's not about me. It's about what He... That's right. That's right. Me out of the equation. That's right. That's right. The only thing I contributed to my salvation is my sin. That's it. But to walk so confidently. I'm not saying you can rest assured in your salvation, but to walk so confidently in His mercy almost puts you borderline... I don't know how to say this. I don't want to say prideful. Just knowing that he could just cast it all away takes that, and he can, but that perfect cast all what away, like the fear. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He could take that. I mean, like, so if we just go, oh yeah, well, I'm saved, and mm-hmm. that's enough. But again, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it can't be an excuse. That that goes back to what he said in First John again. Listen, to what he said. 1 John chapter 4, he said this, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Right? God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So again, the evidence that you have your faith and trust in what Christ has done is the fact that you are walking in love. I'm not saying you get it all right. You're still fighting your sin. You're still at war with your sin and the things of the flesh. But I'm talking about there is a change in your life. There's a change in your heart. If that change has not been present, I'm sorry to tell you this, you need to be praying and asking God that He sent His Holy Spirit to open up the eyes of your heart and to give you a new heart and a new life Again, we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about that you no longer strive with sin. No, just the opposite. You strive with sin. You you are in a war now like you ain't ever been in. And that's exactly what takes place in this life when the Holy Spirit comes in and gives you a new... He opens your eyes to the things beforehand that you didn't even think twice about. Now you know I don't belong here. This is not where I walk. This is not what I do. He changes your heart. And again, he says here that whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. By this is love perfected with us. And when we walk in this perfect love, it casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. (laughs) And if you're still walking trembling in fear of punishment, you're not walking in faith for what Christ has done for you, what God has done through Christ for you, God's perfect love for you. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. I think so. Uh, I don't know if y'all heard Jason or not. Jay said plain and simple. Um, I mean, it, it, it is to me. The question is, is it to you? And again, if it's not, that's fine. We'll explain it. But does everybody understand what he's saying here when he says he, del- he came to deliver us all those from the fear of death who've been lifelong slaves to this fear? He can deliver you from this because He can let you know that He has nailed the power of Satan to the cross and He has nothing that He can bring against you. There's no charge. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say. There is no charge. There is no guilty verdict that can come your way. He has nothing. What can, what can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. Yourself. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. No, you can't separate your, You can't separate if, if the sword, the famine, and everything else, you can't either. Nothing. He said anything in all creation. What's going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? No, he don't leave us Nothing. To leave that's that's why I meant to say that. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, I like what Judy said though when she prayed. I just pray we don't celebrate this just this time kind of season. Right. That's right. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, we talked about this one night. The only reason for this season is so we draw attention to this particular part of it. You know, you've got a whole lot that we have to give attention to. This time of the year gives us a time to draw attention to this. Why did he... Come and dwell among us in flesh so that He could partake in flesh and blood the same way that we did. So that He could die. He can't die unless He becomes flesh. So that He could destroy the one who has the power of death, Satan, the devil. And so that He could deliver you from your lifelong slavery of the fear of death and remind you day after day that God loves you. And he's proven his love for you. And nothing can separate you from that love if you are in Christ Jesus. All right. Anybody got any comments or any questions? It's easier to see the perspective of missionaries that if they have this foundational understanding Mm -hmm. of that lack of fear. Right. And what is a sword, or what is famine, or what is? Um, what is his name? I can't think of his name. Y'all, um, he was a missionary that died. Um, he was speared to death by uh, an unknown people uh, by an uh, unreached people group. But um, anyway, um, his quote. One of the things that he said was, "Blessed is the man who gives what he cannot keep." to gain what he cannot lose. Blessed is the one who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that's the perspective you're talking about. The perspective that says, you know, I can't keep this life anyway, but I'm definitely going to gain what I can never lose. And that will deliver you from the fear of death. That's exactly right. Blessed is the man who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. All right. Any other questions or comments? You know, my goal, my hope tonight is that you're able to walk out of here with confidence that if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has nailed your debt. Your record of debt has been nailed to the cross. And the power that Satan had against you, guess what? It's gone, it's no more. And there's no one that can bring a charge against the one that God has justified. There is no one that can separate you from the love that God has shown you. You're His. And that's the end of it. And that's a beautiful thing. And if you can't find another... If you find a better reason to celebrate Christmas, you come give it to me. There there ain't a better reason to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.